Hello, welcome to the History Club podcast, the official podcast of History Club World. Originally, this was going to be a daily podcast. However, I realized that would be too much work, and I'm not willing to do that much in a week. We will edit out each individual show and segment into its own that will be put up onto our other medias. There will also be a full-length video of this. This show will be released once a week on Friday, with certain shows only being on every other week, like the true story. We will have multiple ads spliced throughout the show. If you own a business and would like to advertise on us, please reach out to us by emailing historyclubworld at gmail.com. There'll be around 20 to 40 ads an episode sold at varying different prices. So it's a good deal. Now without further ado, here's the show. Welcome to the history section of this podcast. We'll start with history facts. History Facts Sunday The American Civil Liberties Union was founded on January 19, 1920 as a renaming of the National Civil Liberties Bureau. It has been long active in trying to keep people connected to their rights. A common criticism of it is that it is too liberal. This can be seen by its founding by at least four socialists or socialist supporters. Famous people or groups that have worked with them include Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Helen Keller, Roger Nass Baldwin, the NRA, the NAACP, Electronic Frontier Foundation, and others. Monday, the Libertarian Party of Canada was founded on July 7, 1973 by Bruce Evany and seven others. The party could be described as the Canadian equivalent to the American Libertarian Party. During the 1980s, it was called Canada's Fourth Party. That position has since been took over by the Green Party and the Bloc Québécois. Tuesday, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development was founded as the Organization for European Economic Cooperation. Its mission was to administer American and Canadian aid under the Marshall Plan after the launch of the European Economic Community under the Treaty of Rome, the OEED decided it was time 
to reform themselves. So they created the Convention on the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development in 1960, with it superseding the OEED in 1961. Wednesday, the Ontario Provincial Police can be traced back to a police force founded in 1845 when a group of constables were collected to patrol the area around public walks. They got an expansion of their jurisdiction in 1877 to make them the police for all of Ontario. On October 13, 1909, they were formally designated as the Ontario Provincial Police under an order in council. In the 1920s, they are given responsible responsibility to enforce prohibition on, in Ontario. Prohibition is the worst law ever made. Thursday. The Canadian Firearms Program was founded in 1995 as the Canadian Firearms Centre to enforce gun laws and make regulations and licensing decisions. They are transferred from the Ministry of Public Safety to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Command laws. In 2008, the CFC and the Firearms Support Services Directorate of the OCMP were merged together. Each province has staff working for them to enforce the same rules and regulations in a way best suited for the province. Friday, the Organization for Nuclear Research, or SON, was founded on September 29th 1954 to be a provisional council to manage the building of a laboratory, the mission of which was to develop and lead Western European nuclear research to make sure it's on the same page. They have had many scientific discoveries that have advanced the nuclear unit science. Excuse me. Excuse me. They are also highly involved in the creation of the World Wide Web, which I am so grateful for. Today in History On Monday in 1981, Sandra Day O'Connell is confirmed as the first female appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States by the Senate. This is actually connected to current events because only last week the second female Supreme Court judge died. 2001. Only 10 days after the September 11th attacks, all of the major American television networks, and it's special to remember those lost in the attacks, raised over $200 million for the victims and mostly their families. 1999, the American Congress passes the Defense of Marriage Act, 
and who officially declares the definition of marriage as between a man and a woman. It was jointly declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court in U.S. vs. Windsor and Objefeld vs. Hodge. Might not be saying that the best. Formally allowing same-sex marriage. 2001. In England, a, pa- a group of Pakistani men beat Ross Parker to death in an apparent hate crime. Three of the four were sentenced for between 16 and 18 years in jail. Tuesday, the Office of the Post U.S. Postmaster General was established today 231 years ago. Their office was one of the most important up until the invention of the internet, as they controlled the flow of information. A prelimin- 1862, a preliminary version of the Emancipation Proclamation was released by Abraham Lincoln. This was probably to start rebuilding morale in the Union soldiers as they were on a slump. Not a good one. 1995. At least 34 school children died following a school bombing. This was done by the Sea Lincoln Air Force. 2013. During a suicide bombing at a Christian church in Peshawar, Pakistan, around 75. People died. Not the best day, historically. And again, sorry for mispronunciations. Wednesday, 1642, Harvard University had its first commencement exercises, officially beginning its long run as one of the Ivy League universities in America. 1780. During the American Revolution, British Major Major John Andre is exposed to be spying on the Americans for the British. This also led to the exposure of Benedict Arnold's secret switch to supporting the British. 1943. The Nazi government of Germany founded a puppet state in the area of the former sphere of interest, sphere of control of fascist dictator of Italy, Benito Mussolini. They called the territory the Italian Social Republic. 1932, Saudi Arabia is completely unified after 30 years of hard work under the lead of the House of Saud. This was done slowly by talking with the various different tribes and military groups. There was some war. 2019. British travel company Thomas Cook files for bankruptcy. 
leaving 600,000 people stuck in the middle of nowhere with no means of getting back. This resulted in 4.3 million unpaid bills for hotels connected with Thomas Cook. Lot of people, lot of money. Thursday. 1789, the United States Congress passed the Judiciary Act that created the Office of the Attorney General. It also determined the composition of the Supreme Court that was connected to current events from last week. 1830, a group of revolutionary nobles established the Provisional Government of Belgium. It's called the Administrative Commission. One of the most boring names of a government there is. Well, this one's fun. 1890. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints officially renounces polygamy as a value of the church. Despite this, we still believe or associate Mormons with polygamy. 130 years later, 1906, United States pres United States President Theodore Roosevelt officially declared Devil's Tower in Wyoming as a national monument. This became the first ever national monument in, the, in American history. 1906. Racial tensions in Atlanta reach an all-time high, following a rumor being spread around town. This leads to the Atlanta race riots and further segregation. 1932. Gandhi and... Dr. Ambedko, that's probably a wrong pronunciation, agree to the Pune Act. This reserves seats for the lower class or untouch untouchables in the Indian Parliament. 1935, the first outdoor rodeo is held with electric lights. By Earl and Weldon Basco. 1946. The Cathay Pacific Airlines is founded in Hong Kong. 1946. The top secret Clifford Elsley report on the Soviet Union is delivered to U.S. President Truman. Not top secret anymore. 1948. Honda Motor Company is founded. 1968, the first episode of 60 Minutes airs on ABC. It is an investigative news show where they interview people about random topics related to current events and other news from an inquiry perspective. 2019, the impeachment inquiry against President Donald Trump was started by the United States House of Representatives. This was for charges of improper conduct 
in relation to a phone call with Ukraine. It was unsuccessful in impeaching. It was successful in impeaching him, but unsuccessful in convicting him. Twenty. 275. For the last time, the Roman Senate elected an emperor for the empire. They selected 75-year-old Marcus Claudius Tacticus, probably wrong, to be their leader. He only lasted one year before he croaked. 1776. Ethan Allen surrenders to British forces following his failed attempt to take Montreal. At the same time, Benedict, Benedict Arnold also sets out on his mission to Quebec. If you remember, like two days ago, historically, and four years later, he finds out to have switched over to the British side. 1789. The United States Congress passed the first ten amendments to their constitution, collectively known as the Bill of Rights. They give people their most important rights so that they aren't abused or oppressed. At the same time, they passed the unratified Congressional Apportionment Amendment, which I'm guessing would have determined how many people per Congressional District and a Congressional Compensation Amendment. That probably would have determined how much they get paid. Seeing as Congress passed it, there's a good chance they would have got paid more than they're worth because people like money. 1912, the Columbia Graduate School for Journalism is created has many notable alumni. 1926, the International Convention to Suppress the Slave Trade and Slavery Aside. It still hasn't fully gotten rid of slavery as it still exists in part of Africa and Asia. 2018, Bill Cosby is sentenced to 10 years, 3 to 10 years for aggravated sexual assault. That's a your favorite person. And this ends the historical section of the podcast. Next up is our sports section. Now on to our sports section. Always interesting to know what happened today in history, ain't it? Monday. The Washington Capitals were founded in 1974 as an expansion to the NHL. They were founded during the time of the WHA, making the available talent stretch thin. They have overcome those issues and won one Stanley Cup in the 2017-2018 season, two division championships, three President's Trophies, 13 division championships. Wednesday, the Seattle Krakens were founded 
2018 as an expansion to the NHL. They'll first they'll be the first professional hockey team to be in Seattle since the Totems in 1975, the first ones competing for the Stanley Cup since the Metropolitans in 1924. They'll start their first season of play the 2021-2022 season. They got their name and branding revealed in 2020. They'll complete at the Climate Pledge Arena Friday. The Toronto Raptors were founded in 1993 as part of that year's expansion in the NBA. They got their name from a national contest as their original name, the Huskies, only could produce logos that were easily get confused with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Their colors were red, black, purple, and gray. The gray they used was in honor of the Canadian that invented basketball. Naismith Gray in honor of James Naismith. They are owned by the same company that owns the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto FC in the Major League Soccer, and the Toronto Argonauts in the Canadian Football League. Partially with the Canadian Blue, the Toronto Blue Jays through Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment's co-ownership between Bell and Rogers, since Rogers owns 100% of Toronto Blue Jays. The Raptors have won one championship in 2019, which I watched live, which was cool. Not in the stadium. I'm from a different part of Canada, so I watched it live on TV. And they have won seven division titles. Next up is crime. We're now into our next section, covering crime. We have two crime facts for this week. On Tuesday, this was a redo from a post we made last year. Maybe one of the youngest people to be convicted for multiple murders is from Metzen Hat, Alberta. J.R. killed her brother while her boyfriend killed her parents. J.R. was convicted at the age of 13 years old, having killed at only the age of 12. J.R. got 10 years in jail, which was the maximum amount she could be sentenced to under the Youth Criminal Justice Act. Or the Youth Justice Act. Whatever to. She killed them in order to continue her relationship with her boyfriend, as her parents were not approving of it. She is found in Saskatchewan by the RCMP. She could o- 
we call her JR because we can't in the Youth Criminal Justice Act it protects the child's anonymity. So after you hit certain age, you can't when well, no one finds out about the crime and while the trial's happening they or media can't use your real name. If I remember correctly, real name is Jasmine Richardson. Thursday. Ross Parker was a 17-year-old boy living in Peterborough, England. And on September 24th, 2001, while he was out on a, out walking with his girlfriend at 1.15 a.m., that's quite late to be out with your girlfriend. Wonder what they were up to. When he was brutally attacked and killed by a gang of Pakistani men. Well, not the good night firm. This attack was motivated by the racial tensions that had that were high at the time, as only ten years. Days previous was the 9 11 attacks. According to information from the courts, they set out the defendants set out to beat up a white person just because they could. There were four defendants in this case. I'll probably pronounce these names wrong, but I'll try my best not to. Shaheen. Nazir, Ahmed Ali Awan, Safraz Ali, and Zephyr Marat. Nazir, Awan, and Ali were sentenced to at least 16 to 18 years in jail with a life sentence, and Murad was cleared of all charges. These crime facts are never fun. But they educate you, so I'll keep doing them. Business facts. We do this on the same schedule as crime facts to be the fun side of it. On Tuesday, this was a fact. ESPN was founded in 1979 by Bill Rasmussen to cover sports played in Connecticut over entertainment and sports programming network. Getty Oil, Anheuser-Busch, an alcohol company, and the NCAA were all involved at the time. In 1984, which is a good book, ABC purchased a controlling stake in the company. Rasmussen came up with the idea after he was fired from the World Hockey Association's New England Whalers. RCA, which was a different company, had an underused satellite. 
and ESPN decided that it would be cheaper to have a national network broadcasting 24-7 rather than a local network for five hours a day. Must have been some behind-the-scenes costs or some bad math. Thursday, Honda Motor Company was founded in October 1946, but wasn't officially a company until September 24th, 1948, when they incorporated their business. They used funds from another project of the founder to create it. It was the Honda Motor Vehicle Research Center around that. And it was founded after Soichi Honda was kicked out of the governance of another motor company he founded called Tokai Siiki. During the war, it was taken over by the Japanese government and it was later bombed by the Americans during the war, making it too expensive to use or keep under management, forcing Hunt to sell the company to Toyota, founding and leading him to found that company. Well, the research center that lasted two years followed closely up by Honda Motor Company. If you have any businesses you would like us to talk about, please send them in at historyclubworld at gmail.com subject business facts. Now to a medical section. Our medical section is split up over two days with one fact. So on Saturday we get the introduction and on Sunday we get the background. So a little more flushed out. Saturday. Coronary artery disease, a coronary heart disease is under the medical jurisdiction of the cardiothoracic surgery department, cardiopulmonary surgical department, or simply the cardiac surgery department. It is defined by Merriam-Webster's medical dictionary as a condition, especially one caused by atherosclerosis that reduces the amount Reduces the blood flow through the coronary arteries to the heart muscle and typically results in chest pain or heart damage. It is caused by a buildup of plaque atherosclerosis in the arteries of the heart. In 2015, it affected 110 million people internationally, killed 8. 0.9 million people. It is more frequent the older you get, with 20% of older over 65 
Jones having it. 7% of people between 45 and 64. And 1.3% in the 1845 age bracket. Sunday. The common risk factors for coronary artery disease, a high blood pressure, smoking, diabetes, lack of exercise, obesity, high blood cholesterol, poor diet, depression, family history, and excessive alcohol abuse. It is estimated to be linked to genetics between 40 and 60% of the time. So, if your mom or dad has it, you have about a 50-50 shot of getting it. It has also been linked to people with type A personality. So, people that are competitive or... super urgent with what they're doing. It can be diagnosed by doing an ECG, cardiac stress test, nuclear stress test, echocardiogram, coronary angiography, intravascular ultrasound, or MRI. It can be, it can either be called stable angina, where it's not an immediate concern, but you should probably still get it treated so you don't drop dead. Or acute coronary syndrome. Acute meaning it's an issue right now, so you should probably get it treated fast. It is very easy to prevent it if you have an adequate physical activity plan, decrease your obesity, treat high blood pressure, Eat a smoke a healthy diet, decrease cholesterol levels, and like most things, not smoking. A public service announcement from us smoking is horrible and will probably not help you live past the age of sixty. So instead of smoking, do behaviors that will increase your lifespan rather than shorten it because we don't need a bunch of graves. That never turns out good when we're just bit. Entertainment facts are when I review a story with a little bit of information about the production and about the show and they're kind of fun. They happen twice a week, once on Saturday, once on Sunday. This week we're only doing it Saturday, so here is our fact. It's very interesting with our medical fact because since it's talking about cardiothoracic surgery, if I remember correctly, one of the main characters had to go under the knife of a cardiothoracic surgeon 
due to issues with her vocal cords. Just a little connectivity tidbit. Love and Maddie was a popular Disney Channel show running from 2013 till 2017. A quick synopsis of the show from IMDb is It follows Liv, a popular television star whose show has just finished its run, and Maddie, an outstanding student and school basketball star whose popularity is on to rise until Liv makes a return to their high school. It was made by Beckenhood Productions, Oops Donuts Productions, and It's a Laugh Productions. Couldn't help myself then. Beckenhart has worked on According to Jim, Hey Arnold, and Shake It Up. It's a Laugh has worked on over 32 different Disney Channel shows and has aired 18 different crossovers. Live and Maddie aired for four seasons and has 80 episodes, lasting between 21 to 24 minutes. It has similar themes as The Brady Bunch and Step by Step. I would rate it 8.8 H's out of 10 because it has a very good story, but kind of has the same basic storyline as most Disney shows. Which is not an insult, it's just a statement because Disney shows are usually good quality, but not mind builders. Therefore, younger kids and people that are just in stage between watching Disney Junior shows, which are basically cheap babysitting, and ABC shows and shows like that. Because Disney has Disney Junior for the young ones, Disney Channel for the tweens and early teens, and then you watch ABC. So basically, they get you cradle to grave. Now, moving on, we'll do a quotes from this week. Monday. That government is best which governs least. Henry David Thornell. The second one from Monday. No man is good enough to govern another man without the other's consent. Abraham Lincoln. So smart to shot back of the head for it. Tuesday. High achievement always takes place in the framework of high expectation. Charles Keating. Wednesday. The essential conditions of everything you do must be choice, love, and passion. Nadida Bulingo. Thursday. If you have 10,000 regulations, you destroy all respect for the law. Winston Churchill. Suppose you're an idiot. Suppose you're a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. Mark Twain. Keep love in your heart. 
A life without it is like a sunless garden when the flowers are dead. Oscar Wilde. Friday. To educate a man in mind and not give him moles is to educate a menace to society. Theodore Roosevelt. Maybe that's how... What is it? The boy that is called The Menace. It was a 1990s TV show. Dennis the Menace was created. The direction in which education starts a man will determine his future in life. Plato. I cannot live without books. Thomas Jefferson. Or me. Saturday. Intellectual growth should commence at birth and only cease at death. Albert Einstein. There's a reason we always say his name when we talk about smart people. The only thing that interferes with my learning is my education. Albert Einstein. Probably a reference at how his education was crappy and how most education takes you off the track of what you want to know or what you will need to learn to be successful in life and just teaches you a bunch of stuff a bunch of bureaucrats in a smoky back room think would be smart. Learning is not attained by choice. It must be sought for with a door and diligence. Abraham, no, not Abraham. Abigail Adams. She must be smart because she's either the one that was made to the second president and mother of another president, the one that was married to a president. I'm not sure. Hope these quotes picked up your day. Remember to check out Boss Lady Art for some amazing art to see. Thanks for enjoying. Of the day section. We started this on Tuesday, so that's when it picks off. Tuesday, limpid, adjective, pronounced limpid. One a marked by transparency. Palcitude, no pronunciation guide. B, clear and simple in style. Two. Absolutely sincere and untroubled. Wednesday, matriculate. Verb, matriculate. One, to enroll as a member of a body and especially of a college or university. Two, to be enrolled at a college or university. Thursday, braggadocio. 
pronoun pronounced break a docio. One A, empty boasting. B, arrogant presentation, cockiness. Two, a person given to arrogant boasting. Braggart. Friday, long gunnimati. Now pronounced longer. NIMRT A deposition to bear injuries patiently. Forbearance. Saturday. Undertaker. Noun. Pronounced UNDERTAKER. One who undertakes. One who takes direct management of business. Interpreter. It's not a way to say that. One whose business is to prepare the dead for burial and to arrange and manage funerals. Finally, an English man taking over forfeited lands in Ireland in the 16th and 17th centuries. Next up is politics. Friday number one, politics. This is for HCW, no, HCN, political world on Instagram. This is exactly what I put for today. It's where I analyze political events and news, give it in a way that you can't exactly tell my political opinion, but in the effort of being limpid, one of the words from awards of the day. I will admit that I'm a conservative libertarian. Last week, one of America's greatest Supreme Court judges, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, passed away. And because of how the Supreme Court functions for its important role in a contentious election, being a potential decider of what happens, and the person who would be, or one of the people who would be in charge of the appointment, Donald Trump, and he's running in this election, it's kind of a conflict of interest if he does, and it happens. So there's a debate over if Donald Trump should be allowed to appoint the replacement for I don't know, replacement, no one can really fill her shoes, but the person to fill OBG's seat. I would personally say that Trump should be allowed to pick his candidate. They should go to a vote in the Senate, but the judge should be required, not just told to, but required by whatever motion is passed to give them a job stay silent on a, a vote to determine who would win the election. One of the main reasons to show that Trump shouldn't get in sh- or shouldn't be allowed to be in charge of the appointment is only 
five, six years ago when President Barack Obama was trying to get his appointment to replace Justice Scalia, Scalia to a vote. Or, and I believe he was appointing Merritt Garland. Don't know he's wasn't on court. And isn't that quite consequential anymore. The Republicans in the Senate didn't even allow it to go to a vote at the time. They were saying that we should allow the American people to decide who should pick the new justice. This is very hypocritical of them to say that they can appoint the justice, but Democrats can't. So Trump should tell them off this year that they're wrong for their reasoning for not having a vote back in 2015. But he should also tell off the Democratic Party for their hypocrisy since they didn't make an appointment in the election year. And same thing. If Democrats can make or do it and Republicans can't, that's not good. It's the one rule for me and another for the leave thing. It's good for who makes the rules, but for the common folk, it's bad. Next two paragraphs, I'll take the approach of strategists for the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. I'll also give you a paragraph from the perspective of a third party, so... Like a green, the Green Party, or Libertarians, or Constitutionals, or just pick one of them to believe this is what they would have said. Alright, first, the strategist for the Republican Party back in 2015, instead of saying the reason they won't vote for, well, put Merrick Garland up for a vote. Is the status of it, not status of it being an election year. However, I instead I would say that the reason they put it to a vote is it would be a waste of time, as Republicans hold a majority of the seats, and they would most likely vote against the appointment because they thought there was a chance they would win in 2016. They turned out to. They appointed the new leader, so it's political pragmatism. Hold up the votes until A, your guy wins, or B, you all get out, or C, they find a way to force you to stop. But it's America, they won't ever do that. Then, in this year, if I could redo what happened in 2015-ish time, I would instead say that my appointment would be able to get a vote. However, the new justice would be able to vote in the court if there's a case about this election, but on any other vote, say, the census question, or uh, what other ones... Think Trump's taxes are up before the Supreme Court now? Stuff like that. They could vote on. 
Then you face off any criticism that this would be able to undo any decision of the future present. If I lost this election, I would allow the other party a higher amount of importance for decision on the next appointment. Normal. So, since as far as I can tell, all of the sitting judges are still in the prime. Still young, still have time left, since at least three were just appointed by this president, two by Obama, that's five, and there's three between the Bushes, two from Junior, one from Senior, the two from Junior will probably be able to serve for a little while longer, so... At best, I get to a point one, but really, who knows? So if they don't get to a point one in their term, when it becomes my term again, I'd be nice and give them a little more sway in the decision. Then I would if I wasn't having to. This would also show that I'm able to give up my power and I'm not power hungry, which, to be fair, would probably get me more votes from the voters. If I don't have to make the next choice in the hands of the Democratic Party to show unity with the Libertarian Party, which is another party on the political right that usually gets around 2-3% of the vote, and Republicans and Libertarians have a close connection. The Libertarians are, well, a good portion of Libertarians are just Republicans. You know, agree with the Libertarian Party, but because of strategic voting, mo- vote more often for the Republicans and have membership there rather than being with a party that really doesn't have that much of a chance to win yet, certainly show support of our political allies, and that when they falsify the court, vote that won't be for sure, there to speak for the people that want to reduce the size of government, their taxation is theft, folks. If I was a democratic stat- strategist, I'd say, well, it's Trump's job to do this appointment. We're in the middle of one of the most contentious election years since 2000. getting so used to saying 20 before the year. That, or, well, was an election where the Supreme Court had to step in to decide what happened. Or 1860, where the American Civil War basically started. So we should wait to see what the people think should happen. The downside with this is, if it does go up to the Supreme Court, there's currently a divide in justices. I believe it's a 5-3, so if... One of the conservative wing justices were to sway over 
to the left-wing justices, it'd be a full, full vote, and nothing would happen. Basically, prolonging this mess forever and forever until who knows. So we should wait to see what happens. Then I release the list of my choices for the new Supreme Court Justice. So that way the people could know who I would pick. Then they could choose who they like better between my candidates and Republican candidates. Who, as of the time of recording this, has not officially been announced, but it is basically canon that it's going to be um names on tip of the tongue um just looking Amy Coney Barrett will be the next justice about on the Republican side if I lost the election, I would then immediately question the ch- my choice for the Supreme Court had a role in it because of the fact that court appointments are one of the most divisive issues. If so, then I would know I'd pick the right person for the job and I'd try better next time. If I were one the one to appoint the judge that would have the most then then I would appoint the judge that has the most public support from what I could tell from the election this would show I have the ability to keep my promises and do what the voters want which basically guarantees me a second term so basically a second supreme court pick I could choose the second most supported, showing that I truly care what my constituents care. Think. If I was an independent member of one of the third parties, I'd say that we should put each one of the candidates up for a vote. Not in the Senate, but in the people's ballot. So that we get the best choice, oh, so that the person who's the best choice for the job and the most dissolving according to the people so that won't be a mess gets it based on the same system we use to pick a president or pick a senators or pick uh, representatives or judges in some states though this could fail since the judges could be too political and stuff like that or could we could have a really good judge but doesn't win because their record shows something that voters don't like. So to make this better, I'd have each party create a list their picks. Minimum one, maximum ten, let's say. Then we'd have them compiled, put on the ballot and we'll use one of the better systems of voting at, called the trans, single transferable vote where everyone has one vote and instead of just voting between A, B, C, and D you vote 
1A, 2B, 3C, 4D. So if A has, well, no one has 20, well, 50% above, and A has 15% of supporters, and C has 35, A has some least, let's say, you transfer 15 of those votes from A, and say A's all support C's, you put those 15 A votes to C, giving C 50% of the electorate, giving them the election. This idea might finally return to a stage where we have a truly independent judiciary, away from all the political squabbling and junk like that, to make this more of a vote on their record, rather than what their political affiliation is. There will be no note of which party promoted them, or supported them, and any judge can run. And instead of doing campaign speeches, stuff like that, from the day you run or announce to run to A, the day you drop out, or B, November 3rd when the election is, you can't make any speeches or stuff like that. You have to stay quiet out of public eye. The only thing you can do is release your record. And you won't do that. You'll hire someone about no, the Supreme Court will find some clerks of theirs, one or two from the Republican wing, one or two from the Democratic wing, to write down a full summary of what the record is, one that is like everything, so basically just copy and paste with whatever's available, and a second one which is a summary. So shortened down. This idea could also be continued to a future as better way to supreme or to replace all Supreme Court judges, as it makes sure that the judiciary is truly independent and free from politicians. But maybe I'm just crazy, who knows? <laughs> Have a good day and enjoy the news, which is closely related to us somehow. Wonder why politics and news overlap so much. Welcome to the news part of this show. It plays off on the politics section a little, and it plays directly into a later section called A Deeper Look. Number one of our news. It was announced last week, on this very day actually, that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away due to the effects of pancreatic cancer. She was 87 years old at the time for death. She was the only, only the second woman to be on Supreme Court, the first Jewish woman, and the first Jewish person on the court since the 1960s. She was part of the liberal wing of the court and has written many of the most influential decisions in recent times. As you could tell if you listened to the political section, 
unless there has been a huge debate over whether or not Trump should be allowed to pick her appointment or her replacement. Number two, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had set out the throne speech to introduce what will happen to Can- with Canada and set out what will be done to better manage the pandemic. He'll be able to continue on with his job as the NDP will support him if there's a vote of non-confidence, which is now unlikely. In his speech, he talked about creating more programs to support the economy to impose restrictions on the oil and gas industry. His work with oil and gas has led to him facing a crisis of confidence in Alberta who rely on the oil and gas industry survive. He has already lost his support of Alberta, putting him into a position where where there's a major successionist movement in one of Canada's major provinces. He has promised to create programs that will help Canadians that are down on their luck get the necessary money to survive through the current hard times created by the COVID-19 pandemic. He has also decided to lower the taxes on the renewable energy sector so that we can start a green recovery, further putting him in deep water with Alberta. The Conservative Party of Canada has also has released some statements to try to put them in a position to have public support for them. So that way, if there's an election coming up soon, which in politics, always play like there's an election tomorrow. But they're very limited in what they can do because Aaron o- the Honorable Aaron O'Toole leader of the official opposition leader of the Conservative Party of Canada is off at home quarantining because he has COVID-19. Which really puts a spin into everything because Trudeau far as we know, hasn't had COVID-19. O'Toole has, so he can actually say what it's like, which could be good for him and his party vote-wise. Number three, the, consor- the, the, the Public Health Agency of Canada is being audited by Health Canada to see if, see if its response to the current pandemic is properly managed, or if it was royally messed up. They'll also investigate to see if PHAC was prepared for something like this or if they failed to do their job that they were set up to do when they're founded. According to a note for the leaders of this preliminary report by the senior executives on the staff of this committee, the mission of the committee is the scope of this audit predates the Public Health Agency of Canada's COVID-19 response. Therefore, the audit's findings and recommendations in this report do not specifically relate to PHAC's response to COVID-19. PHAC's response to COVID-19 will be reviewed in other internal and external audits. Since the audit was completed, PHAC has proactively engaged with provinces territories, other federal and national organizations, as well as hospitals to establish surveillance and monitoring within Canada. For COVID-19, 
list COVID-19 surveillance activities aimed to understand, describe, and monitor the transmission, distribution, and impact of COVID-19 in Canada. The Federal Provincial Territorial Special Advisory Committee on COVID-19 is the vehicle through which Canada shares that during the pandemic and institutes additional collection mechanisms as required. There will be more news to follow, or you could watch Rebel News or other like-minded sites to get up to date with this news story. It was originally broken by Blacklock's reporter. I have no word if it has been covered by CBC, CBC, PAC, Audit. Let's see together. No, it has not. No, it has not been brought up. That is our news section. Please have an excellent day and keep up. The news is very interesting. To further help you get along, please enjoy Book Club, where we read books and ask questions about books so we can learn more. For the Book Club section of this podcast today, I'll just do an introduction of the book and some background information so that when we start it, we will be properly prepared. We'll be reading Crime and Punishment by... Fyodor Dostoevsky. My copy has 492 pages and 9 chapters. Its little blurb at the back is Rodion Rasklovnik is a handsome yet impoverished student. Morally conflicted, he believes that extraordinary men who contribute much to society by their thinking above the law. And in order to prove his day, he decides to murder a grasping old moneylender through unforeseen circumstances or sister. Unexpectedly filled with remorse always be filled with remorse if you kill someone? Raskolnik is caught in a moral dilemma. While he believes he can get away with the perfect murder, he also finds his conscience challenged by his developing relationship with the beautiful but deeply religious Sonia. Crime and Punishment was first published in 1866 and became one of Russia's most famous and influential works of literature. I have four questions for you guys to think about. You can put them in the comments or something like that. Based on your first guess, what do you think the story will be about? What do you think a possible theme is based on this story? 
what genre would this story be? And why do you think this is a classic story in the books of Uncle Tom's Cabin? Anything by Shakespeare. Um, let's see. Other classics. 1984, Animal Farm. So much more. Classic Saw is the best and the funnest, don't you think? Welcome to the True Story Historical Unit. Hello, I am Caden Knott, the founder of History Club World, and I'd like to introduce you to our first video series, The True Story, Historical Reviews of Pop Culture. There's an audio version of this available to enjoy if you have no time to watch but still want to. I would like to thank Anchor, a company owned by Spotify, providing a service to release this podcast. If you own a business and would like to have us advertise, we would be happy to let you to write price. They're posted on our Instagram page. There'll be one set of ads for each of our YouTube version, Instagram version, and the podcast version. The video version of this show will be a standalone show without any other show's segments, while the audio version will be a show on the podcast of other shows and segments, as I'm sure you know by now if you've been listening to. Now please enjoy the true story, historical reviews of pop cultures, the true story, Hamilton. Introduction Hamilton, an American musical, was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, based on Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chornel, a biography about the life of Hamilton that Miranda read while on a vacation. tells the story of Alexander Hamilton's life and his role in the founding of America, and the many family issues that affected him. It is a musical with a lot of rapping, R&B, pop, and soul music. It has diversity in its casting of the founding fathers, with night non-white actors playing Portraying right founders, which most of the founders are right, so I guess if they cast one black man, it wouldn't be historically accurate, but we'll look over that. Because, in my personal opinion, the non-white actors portraying white founders makes it a better story by allowing it to discuss issues of race relations in a way that couldn't be done as good as it, if it were done by white actors because black and 
other colored people know it better. Personally, I would recommend that if you ever get a chance to watch it, you should, because it has a lot of information that's presented in an interesting way. While it's not the most historically accurate, I would still watch it for a fun family movie night. It has an accuracy rating of accurate, but 74% of its ratings being that way. It is 24% inaccurate, 2% embellished, and 1% hearsay. These might not add up exactly to 100%. It might be a little under, might be a little over, but I had to round the stuff, so it could just be a rounding error. The links to this information are posted on a website under the tab for blog as an article called Hamilton Reveal. A synopsis of Hamilton provided by GreatSaver.com is Hamilton is an acclaimed musical that follows the life and exploits of an oft-overlooked founding father, Alexander Hamilton, using innovative musical and theatrical methods the musical takes the audience through the biography of the passionate politician and invites the audience to contemplate the dramatic and momentous founding of the United States of America. scene is called Alexander Hamilton, which shows the early stages of his life. It starts off with a description of his parental situation and where he lives, which is accurate as he was born out of wedlock, his father abandoned him, and his mother caught yellow fever, leading to her death. His mother was sleeping around at the time of his birth, and his father was of Scottish descent. He was born in Charleston, Nevis, a British colony in the middle of the Caribbean that wasn't that memorable now and wasn't then. And it's a quick place to go for vacation while staying in the Commonwealth. When he was 14, he was put in charge of a trading chart. When he was only 14, is put in charge of a trading shop. Sorry, I couldn't resist. But only for five months while the owner was out on scene. He did write a letter about the impact of the hurricane to his father, which was later published by a local minister and journalist, which was good enough that the locals raised money to send him to the mainland get him a proper education. At the age of 10, his father did abandon him, but not because of being in debt. It was more because he was so legally married to another woman, which was a crime, so he didn't want to get arrested. He didn't want to get his 
mistress for that survivor. So Hamilton had to walk as a clerk at an import-export business, and his father had to be with his wife. It was around two to three years later when his mother died, as previously mentioned, causing him to bounce around family to stay with. A cousin that was watching him took his own life, which was not a very good start for his life. The next song is called Aaron Borso. Hamilton didn't go to Princeton College for his education. He went to what was then known as King's College, which is now known as Columbia. Aaron Bohr didn't complete his studies in two years. He just had to change his mind, so he stopped his religious education and moved to Connecticut to start his legal education. But once he heard about the start of the American Revolution, he stopped at once. Hamilton got a degree in the arts over a course of three years when he was 16. It was a common criticism when Ball was around that he stood for nothing as he would not state his political opinions. Unlike today when every politician will be ex- ex- uh, accused of being extremists because they will state every political opinion in a way that's so bland that the far side of their, or the hard far side of their party can support it, moderate side of their party can support it. Alexander didn't meet John Lawrence, the Marquis de Lafayette, and Hercules Mulligan at the same time. Hamilton met the Marquis de Lafayette when they were both put on George Washington's staff around the same time. He met John Lawrence the same way a year later in 1776 as Lawrence was a soldier. He met Hercules Mulligan, such a cool name, when he arrived from the West Indies, spending time at Mulligan's house during his first few years at King's College. Hamilton didn't know Aaron Burr until the early stages of the revolution. Hamilton had already went to King's College by the time he met most of his friends. Lawrence was anti-slavery and trying to get on or trying to get an all-black unit. The group of friends was ex- were all mostly against slavery, with them trying to get everyone free from the bonds of their masters. England for the free white folk and slave masters for the black folk. But it was unsuccessful as the Constitutional Convention had representatives from the southern slave states. They got rich off slavery. And, well, who 
gives up the way to get cheap money. Hamilton had been writing pamphlets on British North America, what is now Canada or Quebec, and British rule over the 13 colonies. The Declaration of Independence might have been out around the time of the song Skylar Sisters. Eliza, Angelica, and Peggy. They are missing one of the sisters, as there were four sisters and three brothers that made it to adulthood. The British were against the acts of Congress and their supporters. The supporters of the revolution would also actively annoy the British representatives, which I have no problem with. The king and the other advisors would probably have believed everything the king said. They did make arrangements to solve the king, when people went away, the new world, so they kind of were breaking a deal, but then again, Britain was Britain, so who cares? The king did send people to try to keep America in its possession, one of the first major abusive relationships that King Henry VIII won is six wives. The high class of England did believe that the Americans would come back. But King George was slightly insane. Totally insane. Due to a high amount of inbreeding within royal families. Which is why I have to do this public service announcement if you plan to have kids or get married please not have kids with your first cousins your brothers sisters and uncles parents if you could see them the family reunion and they're not on the wait staff don't date them. Unless they're a musician and have no connection to your family. Or to people like that. During the Battle of Long Island, there were around 32,000 troops. With 10,000 American, 22,000 British. British were under the command of Admiral William Howe and Americans under the command of General George Washington. Washington. Ting Tong. 364 people died, 1,093 injured, 1,110 missing or injured, or missing or captured, or abandoned, or decided that. They no longer want to be in the military. I know I won't be. Hamilton was appointed 
to the position of aide-de-camp around the time of the Battle of Long Island. Anbar was a soldier under General Montgomery in the unsuccessful battle tried to take Quebec City from British troops. Don't know why they want Quebec. They can have it nowadays if they want it. Hamilton did turn down jobs as an administrator with William Alexander, Lord Stalling, Nathaniel Green, and slash all Alexander McDougall in the song Right Hand Man. It's true that Hamilton was a ladies' man. Possibly even having a kid with a woman other than his wife. And not the lady that gets mentioned prominently in the story later on. It's rumored that this kid was a leading anti-slavery activist, black person named William Al- William Hamilton. The part about the tomcat is highly unlikely, as the word tomcat wasn't used to refer to a ladies' man until the early 20th century. So, about a hundred years ago. It's only Eliza at the Winter's Ball, not Angelica and Peggy. The other sisters were off somewhere else. Don't know where. We can't keep track of every person's exact location back then. If you want to know, ask whatever the equivalent. The NSA was back then. Where was I? Um, the letter about Shang Hamilton of forming a ham, which was founded by the Egyptians and all other people. Now, where a bunch of girls or a bunch of boys would be shared together to whatever gender wanted them. That letter wasn't written to seventeen forty nine, fourteen years after the winter's ball, and fourteen years after when Hamilton and Eliza got married. Angelica wasn't at the winter's ball. She was already married by that by the time she met Eliza. Hamilton, not Eliza. Well, I hope she met Eliza before. Her father had three sons that survived into adulthood that satis- satisfied and helpless. I can't be 100% sure, but I can't find any law that would make the relationship between Boar and Theodosia, illegal on the context of her husband being a British officer, as George Washington used her house as a base of operations, meaning it would be on the count of it was a crime to cheat on your spouse. The same count that got Hamilton's father to 
gonna have some elk for a long, long time. That's in the story of tonight. Theodosia's husband was stationed in St. Augustine, Florida, which was Spanish possession at the time, but was then moved to Georgia to continue the Southern Campaign. In 1781, he was sent to Jamaica. That's probably racist. To suppress an uprising, uprising when he died fighting. Hamilton's grandpa was a preacher and successor to Boer's father as president of Princeton University, where Boer would get the two years of religious education he went through. While I can't find proof, it is very likely that they ate their horses due to low food supply, that and Americans have basically been eating horses their entire, entire lifetimes. But don't tell the kids that, that might disgust them when they go to eat. The merchants won't supply the Americans with resources because if the war ended with the British winning, could result in their deaths with charges of treason, or it could just flat out result in them no longer getting British customers, which were a good portion of the population. And if um, the British were smart, after the revolution, if they won, they would have probably sent most of the most vocal supporters of the revolution back to England to be really Anglified, Anglified, while they send some super supporters of the British down to America to soften up the moderate haters of Britain in a big way to get rid of all the haters. Because the haters going to hate, 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 hate. I'm really going on tangents today. Morgan did serve as spy. Lawrence and Hamilton did work together against slavery, including creating a force of 3,000 slaves who would be set free after service. It was mentioned later in this play when Lawrence did something in a letter that he never did create the slave unit, but that's a lie. Washington did promote Lee to senior command. Lee was originally thought to have be a potential candidate for force in charge, but he didn't get it due to him being born in Britain and that being a potential security risk. So the position went to Washington. A different person was chosen as the second in command, so his place in third in command, but the second in command became ill or got killed or something like that, so Lee was promoted to second in command. And Lee did fail in the Battle of Mammoth, which is never a good thing when you fail in a battle, especially one named after mammoths. Big woolly creatures that kind of look like a 
Uh, what's it called? Elephant mixed with like a bale. Lafayette was sent as commander of a vanguard to assist in the battle, not to replace Lee. Assist. Lee forgot to inform his seconds in command about his plans to fight the British by surrounding them, but once Lafayette's forces realized they had no chance to beat the British, they pulled away. Which is about what I would have done. Lee's plans could no longer work as he didn't have the forces, leading to a mess of confusion and disorder and all that junk. Leading to over a hundred, over a thousand deaths. Not sure of the exact amount. Lee and Lawrence did duel, following Lee making a speech that questioned Washington. And Ball was not Lee's second in command, that was Evan Edwards, but they were building Ball up. To be Hamilton's main rivals, so while well, like they changed it, it makes sense story wise. Plus, who needs another random character that will only show up for one song then never appear again? Lee was not inexperienced as a military leader, as his a former commander in the Seven Years' War, which was the war that the British needed to pay off with the taxes and stuff, so he was a leader in the war that created this war. That's in song Ten New Commandments. Number one. <laughs> oh, I'm going on so many tangents. Hamilton did get in trouble in wa- by Washington, leading to Hamilton leaving his staff. No issues in that would be enough. Just a minor note Hamilton Lafayette was not Lafayette's real name. It's his title. It's the Marquis de Lafayette. His real title was. No, his real name was Gilbert de Montier or even longer Mary Joseph Paul-Yves Vos Gilbert de Montier Le Marquis de la Lafayette but since that's such a long name, and those small, small, pea-sized brains can't handle that many words. We just simply call him Lafayette. Lafayette got his first command by implying that he might resign from the military. There were no mentions of anything having to do with the Marquis de Lafayette. Washington was 20 when he got his first command, Lafayette was 19, and Hamilton was 24. 
Lafayette was at the Battle of Yorktown with Hamilton along with Hercules Mulligan. Hercules Mulligan. <laughs> Such a cool name. He was spying on the British. The British apparently want the best at running counterintelligence operations. Especially in a country that had many people spying against the British because they hated the British. The British probably did think the world turned upside down as they lost to a minor force compared to theirs. Britain was basically always at war with France. I'm pretty sure it would be easier to list the times they weren't at war than the times they were at war. It took two tries, but America did succeed with ruling the country effectively. There was the... What was it? Articles of Confederation Government and Court Constitutional Government that survived for... 31... About 231 years. Bo's daughter Theodosia did leave, live into adulthood being married to governor of the governor of South Carolina during the War of 1812. She got lost at sea and has never been found. As for Hamilton's son, Philip Hamilton, he is a character in the show, so I won't talk about him till he becomes a character again. John Lawrence died at the end of the war when he was escorting some British soldiers out. Hamilton was very close to him, leading him to never get that close to a man again. In the song, Tomorrow There Will Be More Of Us. For some reason, I like singing this. Both Bull and Hamilton were lawyers. Hamilton was also a member of the Constitutional Congress. He did write a lot, just such a list of writings by Hamilton. Or it will just be provided in the description. No comment on the corruption in Albany, Len. Wink or wink wink now. Hamilton was at the Constitutional Convention. Hamilton never asked Bowen to write, write an essay for the Federalist Papers. Angelica married her husband. Angelica Eliza and Peggy. Before she left for London in 1777, Hamilton did write the most essays, almost like he was really committed to fixing America. Washington did appoint Hamilton 
the Secretary of the Treasury. And that is it for Act 1. Go take a drink. Go, go pee. Go on with your day and pick up later. I know, certainly I need a break. See you in a minute. Now to Act 2 of Hamilton. Thomas Jefferson was stationed in France during the early years of America and was quite the ladies' man. Jefferson was one of the chapters of the French Constitution, which was inspired by America's. America's government was based in Hamilton at the time. Hamilton's plans were quite ambitious, including plans to create a national bank that had to wait. I think we didn't have a true national bank until the Federal Reserve. He did plan on assuming state stats, which the South didn't like, but the South was also quite rich at the time, but they also were slave states and when you don't have to pay for your label, it is quite easy to get money. Jefferson was not a soldier, as mentioned in the show. He was, however, involved in governing, governing Virginia during the war, so he wasn't on the sidelines of the revolution. He was more in the thick of it politically, doing the behind-the-scenes work, so that if America war to be successful, we weren't just a, brand, a bunch of soldiers toiling around. Uh, the war was already over by the time Jefferson left for France, as he was governor till 1981, and I believe he had a role in crafting the peace treaty, named the Treaty of Paris. Apparently, they signed every treaty in Paris or the general vicinity. Just a minor note, cabinet battles, cabinet meetings are not rap battles, but if you have any role in coordinating cabinet meetings, we would all generally love it if instead of doing boring old speeches, you did more rap battles and stuff like that. It would definitely help with public engagement. Hamilton already had two more sons, so Philip asking for a little brother won't be accurate because, well, he already had two little brothers and his younger sister. Angelica did visit that year, but it was more to be at George Washington's inauguration, which is an event I think we all 
imagine ourselves being at if we are half in the historical world and half in the political world as it was like a huge event in the founding of America. And the story that we're told here is around the same story we're told about trials of fair. Times might not be the most accurate and minor minute details like that. Please don't have affairs. We do not want to be talking about them. They're no fun. They're icky. Hamilton got his debt planned due. Virginia got the capital. So it was a fair trade. I think Maryland also had to give up some land in the Compromise of 1790. It's why we have the District of Columbia. And as most often happened in politics, and still happens in politics to this day, to be honest, it happened in smoky back rooms with the politicians, some bureaucrats, people like that. Because, don't fool yourself, while we might be told we have a democracy, we don't. Um, Phillips Carlos Sr., who was, well not senior, but um, Hamilton's father-in-law was a senator and did lose his seat to Aaron Burr, France was basically at war at all times, either the British, the Germans, civil wars, France, that Europe has, was basically at war from 1945 AD to about the time when humans started forming governments and tribes. France was also in the midst of a revolution. Lafayette, the Marquise de Lafayette was a leader of this revolution and despite being part of the upper class, the nobility, the dukes and marquises and the high class basically. Which was strange because this revolution was over the high class and how they had too much power. The Democratic Republicans back in America were made up by factions supporting Jefferson's ideas. They are the predecessor to today's Democratic Party. And the Federalist Party was made up by factions supporting Hamilton's idea. They are the or the predecessor to the Republican Party. Hamilton was already out of his position as Secretary of the Treasury by the time that Washington decided to give up power. Hamilton was involved in the farewell address. Washington stepped down to show that the position of President was democratic and had 
time limits. Unlike the king who, I believe, if I remember correctly, King George was in from 1760 to 1820. 60 long years of his craziness the British had to endure. So, he did not rule democratically. But that chestnut traveled down to colonies that followed British ways of government, where prime ministers and governors and whatever position we have as leadership doesn't have time moments, they just serve as long as their heart contends to. And as long as the people support them, but if a government lasts long enough, who really cares about the people? And you have all the power to make laws, you can choose who votes, so. Oh, I'll stop rambling on and get back to what I'm saying. Establish a president was that precedent that was only broken once by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, his elder cousin um, Theodore Roosevelt also tried it, but he lost to the Democratic Party. Technically, did lose because if you were to add his votes through the Progressive Party and the votes for the Republican Party together, so if the Republicans nominated him instead of Taft, he would have became um, president. But, the Republicans didn't nominate him because, well, he was progressive and had ideals that remarkably changed America. So, they didn't nominate him. Leading to them getting no election. Which is, I guess, sad for them, but what you're going to do? Just a fancy Latin word, which I know for. That means the same thing as present. Estere decisis means to stand by things decided. Which is just a long way of saying precedent. Ain't it always interesting to see what modern words we use for came from? King George was still king at the time. Again, like I said, he didn't leave. 1820. He lived long for a crazy person. Also, 
again. John Adams was the second president. His son was after him by a few generations, forming the first political dynasty. Then it was the Roosevelt political dynasty, then the Bush political dynasty, and that brings us up to 2008, and we haven't re-elected anyone from the same family. I guess most of these high-powerful families are all connected somehow. The marriage, or the blood, or stuff like that. Um, Hamilton created both the U.S. Coast Guard, at the time it was called Revenue Cutter Service, as it was under the Department of Treasury, not the Department of Defense, and it's main role was in tax collection and stuff like that. He also founded the New York Post and has told a business fa- well you might want to check out a business fact from September 10th 2020 to bring out more information. Adams didn't fire Hamilton as he was out of the job for about a year by then. Hamilton was out of the job. It is not Bull, um, Jefferson, and another one. Adams, no. Whatever the other guy's name was that was involved. In the trial, well, the trial, what's the word? Exposure of the affair, it was three other men. Monroe, who is a friend of Jefferson and would later become a president. And two other men who I just can't think of. Hamilton did have the biggest influence on the financial system of America. Presidents did try to undo it, stuff like that, but we have almost the same financial system now as we had then, just more modern, and they didn't have the technology we have today, so some stuff is better. You can donate to us online, whereas back then you'd have to send money to us, to a bank or something like that, with a bunch of complex stuff. Hamilton was either 12 or 13 when his mom dies, depends on the records and Stuff like that. Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. But just Angelica for this moment. Arrival in America was before the Reynolds pamphlet. It should be noted that while it has a nickname to Reynolds pamphlet, the real name of his pamphlet was Observations 
certain documents. One of the most boring names for an affair book. So, we call it the Reynolds Pamphlet. This was probably the death of Hamilton's political career at Icefall important positions because most people wouldn't trust you if you cheated on your, uh, your wife. Because if you cheated on your wife, what would you do to us? Because you have sworn promise to your wife you married her and all that. You swore before God you would do stuff for her. So if you do that to your wife, what would you do to us? It must be horrible. We don't know what Eliza's reaction to scandal was, as none of her walks have survived. It is not necessarily true that she burned them, as none of them survived. They could have just been put in a box that's been misplaced, or someone else could have destroyed them, or they could just be around in public. Then we just don't know about it because America's been around for like 250 years. You write a bunch of well, you have a bunch of records from that. Hamilton's son Philip did graduate from King's College, but I think at the time it was called Columbia, as his father had helped reorganize it and rebuild it following the war because the war universities tend to not be protected places since they're developing smart people and smart people could fight against you so you don't quite want to give them a chance. Philip did duel with Eco over his father's honor. Which, to be fair, is the thing most of us would at least like to think we would stand up for. Dueling was not legal in Jersey, just no one would ever be found guilty, as people saw it as the gentleman's way to settle a fight. Because pointing a gun at someone and potentially killing them is just so civilized. But who can complain? Except anyone with at least one of their brain cells. But no one was found guilty in any place, so who cares about Jersey just having bad enforcement? Jersey couldn't get bored. Guilty for killing Hamilton. Wait, no, that's not spoiler, it's history. New York couldn't find him guilty. Heck, you could put, um, twen- or twelve relatives of Hamilton in joy, and there's a low chance he would even be found guilty. Just because of how America is. Eco did not shoot right away. It took them over one minute 
to start shooting. Flip did die to the du- due to the duel. As they had horrible doctors back, well, not horrible doctors, but the doctors didn't know as much. Anesthetic was only truly in use like 60 ish years later. Um, we had to have x rays for another hundred years. We didn't really have proper ways to take care of people's health and till well, cleanliness till 1860s, 1850s. So, oh, just a public service announcement. Hamilton does keep making me seem, well, does seem to keep making me duelies. Dueling is illegal. Dueling will always be illegal. I would not duel. I would not recommending dueling. If you're smart enough, it would be better to just debate to settle the argument. And if you're not quite smart enough, have a fist fight. It won't kill anyone. Well, hopefully it won't kill anyone. No, violence rarely solves anything. So, don't be violent. I don't know. That's the end of public service announcement. Who knows what number? Hamilton did become more actively religious following Philip's death. I was talking about this with someone in my workplace as we were discussing the Black Plague and COVID and stuff like that. When there's a crisis, you either become more religious, closer to God, or whatever your religious-like thing is, or you full-on get rid of religion, depending on your exact viewpoint and stuff like that. Alexander and Eliza did become closer and kind of reconcile after the fallout of the fair falling Philip's death. Also the same thing as with religious, you either become closer together or farther apart. Bar did run for office in 1800 along with Jefferson. They're both members of Democratic Republicans. John Adams did run again as a Federalist. And as we have President Thomas Jefferson, we all know he lost Mr. President Adams. The election happened a year before Philip died, so I don't know why Hamilton, Alexander was moping around time. Maybe they just changed it to make it more interesting. Ball became vice president as the rules at the time made it so you didn't choose your president. Whoever got the second most votes would become president. Which is a horrible system since 
if your vice president was someone. Like if Donald Trump became president again and Joe Biden was the vice president, that would never work. Because they are two different sides of the political spectrum. Or in the reverse. It'd be like having... Um, the Joker be Batman's assistant, or the Penguin, or Robin helping out one of them. The events of the duel were not over this race, but it was over the 1804 gubernatorial election in New York. Jefferson decided not to run again with Barnes as vice president. So Vice President Barr ran to become the next governor, but wasn't quite successful. And there's a thing published in the newspaper that made him think that maybe Hamilton was involved. So it became a whole big fiasco when they dueled for their honor. Alton was wearing his glasses. He was getting on in the years. And they take good care of your eyesight back then. And probably going to war also doesn't help your eyesight. So he basically needed glasses to good, good seeing. Boar's killing of Hamilton ruined any chance for the success in life because killing a man in cold blood during a duel when the other person pointed their gun at the sky didn't shoot back or any of that and when the man is pretty much well liked really doesn't help you. It later be investigated for treason in 1807 because he has talking with or talking about taking Texas which wasn't an American possession at the time and some other land around it turning it into a big new country for some people can't remember exactly who and they thought that was treasonous and it was a whole big fiasco he didn't get found guilty but he basically for being one of the founding fathers went from the top of his game to dying alone with no one really caring. Eliza did do all of the work but that was mentioned here but most of the main work of solving the founding father stuff and that stuff was done by the founding mothers. I mean, while we focus most of our attention on the fathers, those people, it would be quite interesting to see a detailed documentary just about what the founding mothers did. 
Allies died only six years before the Civil War, nine before slavery was gotten rid of, which is important because she was doing her darndest to try to get rid of slavery, but just missed it. The orphanage she founded is still around today. It did get way more attention following the release of this play. Have a good day, and I hope you enjoyed this series. I know I want to start this podcast. I know I will enjoy it. Next up is... Deeper Look History's Impact on... Hamilton was enjoyable, wasn't it? Now to a deeper look, history's impact on now. This is where we take our news stories and put them through a historical lens. We have only had women on Supreme Court for about 39 years, which if you ask me is not long enough because my mom is just a little bit older than that. This has impacted how we can feel about, well, how we feel about the death of OBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because she is one of four women on the court and one of the most influential members of that small group. And that group includes Sandra Day O'Connell, And Elena Kagan. The day of these four were appointed by one by liberal leaning presidents, one by Reagan. Three of them were from New York. One was from Arizona. Only two of them served. Sandra Day O'Connell served. From 1981 to 2006, she also served currently with Ruth Bader Ginsburg from 1993 to her leave, but Ginsburg served till her death in 2020. Sonia Sotomayor served concurrently with both Elena Kagan and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, beginning her term in 2019. 2009, she is incumbent. Elena Kagan started her term in 2010 and is also currently in the job. Next, number two, Justin Trudeau's throne speech has caused a huge uproar from citizens of Alberta and Saskatchewan, as mentioned above. This is most likely built upon years 
philosophical issues and other things due to the unique way Canadian federalism works. It is also connected to the fact that Pierre Elliott Trudeau was very disliked in Alberta because of basically the same things his son's done, just in more time, with I think more seats in Alberta under his belt, so even worse, and his son has not done much change any legacies of his family. Three, the PHAC, a public health agency in Canada, was supposed to set up a complicated system to prevent any future pandemics when it was set up following the 2003 SARS outbreak. If you are really up to date on your news, you'll know that we call the current outbreak SARS-2, SARS-CoV-2, because this is the second severe acute respiratory syndrome outbreak, just with a different disease cause, because why not? We can't all have fun anymore, because we have to get sick. To accomplish this, there was to set up an office, or I think it was the Chief Health Surveillance Office, who would send representatives and people throughout um, the world so that they could monitor and surveil the world. So if people started getting sick with symptoms of a bad flu or diseases that we haven't seen yet, we can get a early warning. The person warns Public Health Agency of Canada. They send out a warning to everyone, but first to the provincial public health agencies. They work together, so that way we have screening mechanisms, so we're safe. They did do this until 2017 when they forgot to have failed to appoint someone to the office. And it was further abolished because nothing like COVID-19 has happened before, except MERS outbreak for Asia, SARS outbreak in 2003, MERS was 2015, Ebola from like 2013, um, and the 1918 Spanish flu. This is the last show of the History Club podcast for the week of September 20th, 2016. 26th. So please enjoy our end. Thank you for watching the History Club podcast for the week of September 20th to 26. I am Kaden Notch, your host. I'd like to thank Wikipedia, Google, Google Docs, Rebel News, um, Disney Plus, um, let's see, I have this so unorganized. Brainy Quotes, The Merriam-Webster Dictionary, 
Wikipedia, Wikipedia. Encyclopedia Britannica. Irish Central. Mashable. Hamilton's Wiki or Fandom. Biography.com. Gradesaver.com. Cambridge University's American Studies Program. The Library of Congress. And many others. This podcast couldn't have been made without Anchor, who provided the service to record it. I hope you all have a good week. See you next Friday. This podcast is a podcast produced by Hitchcock Podcast Network. We have multiple different accounts on Instagram and an account on Parlor called Not Caden One. It's a mixture of my personal stuff and Hitch Club World, so don't be alarmed if you see the occasional political statement. Have a good week.